For our new fourth and fifth graders, if you will, this is your time to be dismissed to your class, so you're free to go. I know she's not in the auditorium right now, but this Sunday is the first Sunday that a little girl who has spent the first month and a half of her life at Riley Hospital uh, has come to be part of Livingstone's Church. We're so happy to have Isabella Manthe uh, able to leave Riley and come home and be with her mom and dad. I know she's got uh, a couple of operations ahead of her, but we're so thankful for all the prayers and uh, thoughts that have gone up to God on her behalf from you folks. Uh, God has answered those prayers, and I know that Tony and Rachel are happy to have her home. So uh, if you haven't had a chance to meet that little angel yet, I hope you'll uh, be able to do so. It's a privilege and joy to be able to have the opportunity to preach for you this morning uh, in Sam's absence. I have truly appreciated the wonderful lessons that Tim has bought these past couple of weeks And I can say that we are truly a blessed congregation to have these men on staff who are leading our Living Stones Church in the mission to the south side of South Bend. Um, If you don't, if you'll pardon a football analogy, I would say that we have a very deep bench. Uh, And so uh, using another football analogy, the New York Jets yesterday uh, had their starting quarterback Sanchez uh, take the bench at uh, halftime, and uh, Tim Tebow came in for the second half. And so our Tim Tebow has been here uh, the last couple of weeks. Uh, Well, today, Peyton Manning's here, and um, (coughs) as I speak about them leading us in the mission to the south side, uh, I am so happy to see the number of south, I love south side stickers on cars as I drive around. It seems like the more I drive around the south side now, the more I see those stickers. I can't hardly uh, pull into a parking lot here on the south side without seeing a sticker. And so when I go into a grocery store or a department store or something here on the south side, I immediately look around trying to see who I know that may be parked out in the parking lot. And I have found that there are several of those stickers on cars of people that don't attend here at Livingstone's Church, but they love the south side too. And so we're very thankful for that. Uh, Now, in relation to that, Uh, The last week of June of this year, uh, Diane and I took our three grandsons uh, for a week's trip to Washington, D.C. to do a little history tour. And uh, on the way back, we were coming through Pennsylvania and traveling on the Pennsylvania Turnpike. And uh, I knew we were coming close to the end of the Turnpike uh, when we ran into some major highway construction. And I became somewhat confused in which lane to be in because of what I considered inadequate signage. Uh, And so instead of being on the right side pulling into a toll booth to pay my $13-plus toll, uh, I found that I went through in the easy pass lane. And as I moved into Ohio, I realized that I hadn't paid my $13-plus and uh, didn't know exactly how to rectify it without causing a major disruption to the traffic. So I drove all the way home to South Bend that day, trying to find a way in my mind to rectify uh, the transgression. And so I scoured, uh, I took that toll ticket, and I scoured the ticket to look for a phone number that I might call to explain what had happened and see how I could send them my uh, toll money. Uh, But there was no phone ticket on it. So I got on my computer and got on the Internet, and I went to the 
Pennsylvania Turnpike Authority website, and I began to look for some kind of contact number, and there isn't any there. And so I uh, thought, I'll just have to wait and see what happens. So one week went by, two weeks, three weeks, nothing. And I thought perhaps God in His mercy had caused the turnpike to extend to me a mulligan, <laughs> and I would never do this again. And then exactly one month after that transgression, I got a letter from the Pennsylvania Turnpike Authority advising me that I could settle this matter for a mere $60.25. And included in that letter was a picture. (laughs) They took of my van traveling 70 miles per hour through that exit. And I was impressed with the clarity of that picture at that speed. But you'll notice in the lower left bumper is the I Love Southside sticker. And so, I mention this because you can see how much I love the South Side, and also this serves as my confession to the church, and I have paid for my forgiveness, and the check is cleared. Now, our lesson this morning is going to be taken from a portion of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So if you have your Bibles in whatever form, whether it's uh, an iPad, a Kindle, and your uh, uh, iPhone, or maybe even if you're old school, you have a, a paper Bible, Uh, you can turn to chapter 5 of Matthew, and starting in verse 33, and we'll be showing it on the screen as well, if you'd like to follow along that way, and we'll meet there in a moment. But I want to ask you, first of all, have you ever had one of those aha moments when something with which you have been familiar with for many years suddenly comes into focus in a way that you've never seen it before? I can never forget when I was a seventh grader many years ago, a seventh grader many years ago, my... uh, Uh, eyesight was not very good, but we didn't know that until one day my parents determined I needed to get my eyes checked. And so we drove from where we lived in Kokomo up to Fort Wayne, Indiana, to the Cunningham Optical Company, which had same-day service and was a discount optical company. And uh, I had my first eye exam and was fitted for glasses, and at the end of that day went back and they put those glasses. And I will never forget the experience of those glasses being on for the very first time, and I look out the window, and I suddenly see there are individual leaves on the tree instead of just a mass of green. There are individual blades of grass, and suddenly things that came into focus were startling and wonderful. And that's kind of the way I felt about this passage uh, that I recently was reading in Matthew 5. Let's begin with verse 33. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. Whoops, let me back up to the passage I meant to. Verse 33, again you have heard, (laughs) I need my eyes checked. Again you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is His footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great King. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair whiter by Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. In this short passage, Jesus is calling His disciples, those who would follow His teachings, to simply be people of integrity. In short, be people who can be counted on to keep their word. The story is told of a businessman who uh, was tutoring his son on how to be successful in business. And 
He was trying to impart wisdom that he had gained over his years of experience. And so he said, as they're walking alone, my boy, there are two things that are essential if you are to succeed in business, integrity and sagacity. And the little boy looked up at his dad and he says, what's integrity? And his father said, always, no matter what, always keep your word. And said to his father, and what is sagacity? And his father said, never give your word. Now sadly, I'll let that sink in just a moment. Sadly, this story reflects the epidemic of lies, falsehood, deceitfulness, and distortion of truth that permeates our entire society today. We hardly know any longer what or who to believe in virtually every field of endeavor. Did you know that the United States has more lawyers per capita than any other country on the face of the earth? There is one lawyer for every 265 people in the United States. And contrast that with France that has one lawyer for every 1,403 people. Why so much business for the lawyers here? It's because integrity, meaning yes, simply being yes, is an extremely rare commodity in our society. And people want protection from deceit. And integrity is becoming so rare that when it is encountered, it makes a lasting impression. When I was a freshman in college many years ago, the church that I attended while I was in college had a visiting preacher who was a notable speaker among the churches of Christ. And in one of his lessons, he told about visiting uh, in Pennsylvania a few years before. Now, not on the Pennsylvania Turnpike, but he was in Pennsylvania. And he said that his host uh, during his visit was a merchant who had a grocery store. And he was in the store with his host uh, uh, talking about this, that, and the other. And an Amish farmer came in making a delivery of eggs. And the farmer told the merchant how many dozen he had delivered. And the merchant immediately got into the cash register, pulled out the agreed-upon amount, and paid the farmer. And then they bid each other adieu. After the farmer left, this preacher said, he said to his host, uh, I noticed that you didn't verify that you were receiving the number of eggs that you were told. And his host chuckled and said, I will guarantee that there is no shortage in what was delivered. As a matter of fact, I would warrant that if we were to go and actually count, we would find one extra egg in every dozen that he delivered. Such was the impeccability of the word, the integrity of that Amish farmer. Our society has largely abandoned any concept or hope of universal objective truth. That which is true for all people everywhere, irrespective of age, nationality, ethnicity, gender, education, or income level. Truth for the majority of our society has become very subjective. Now what is true for you because of my particular circumstances may not be true for me in today's society. Truth has become a very subjective and personal thing. And truth is whatever a particular political party claims it to be. And both major political parties play the subjective truth game. And we're going to hear a lot of it in the next 79 days. Now, in order to preserve our 501c3 status for tax exemption, I will not make any declaration regarding the politics of that. However, if you want to know how to vote, see me after the service, and I'll be glad to uh, give you advice on that. But the fact of the matter is... Uh, Professional politicians are notorious 
for their yeses not meaning yes necessarily, or their noes meaning what that means. Companies have assured their clients that they have their private financial or health data totally safe and secure with them. That is until a buyer is found that is willing to offer the right price for that information. Huge corporations have gone out of business or their executives have been in prison because of lies that, told their, uh, that they told their investors. And you've probably heard the term Ponzi scheme. But do you know the story behind that term? Carlo Pietra, Giovanni Guglielmi, Tobaldo Ponzi. Those Italians have a lot of names. When he came to this country, he became known as Charles Ponzi. was born in 1882 in Italy. And he immigrated to the United States in 1903. And when he arrived in New York on the boat, he came with two he had $2.51 in his pocket. Now, what had happened is he had gambled away the rest of his life savings on the voyage over from Italy, just to give you a scent of the character with which we're dealing. He quickly learned English and spent the next few years doing odd jobs, eventually taking a job as a dishwasher in a restaurant where he slept on the floor. He had managed to work his way up to the position of waiter, but he was fired because he was shortchanging the customers and was committing petty theft. In 1907, he moved to Montreal, Canada, and he became an assistant teller in a newly opened bank started by another Italian named Luigi Zarossi. Now, the bank was established to service the influx of Italian immigrants to Montreal, and Zarossi was paying 6% interest on bank deposits, which was double the going rate. And as a result, if the bank's paying 6% interest and you're usually getting three, guess what? His uh, the number of deposits just grew exponentially. And Ponzi eventually rose to be a bank manager. But he discovered that the bank was in serious financial trouble because of bad real estate loans and that Zarossi was funding the interest payments not from profits through investments, but by using money deposited in newly opened accounts. And eventually the bank failed and Zarossi fled to Mexico with a large portion of the bank's money. Now, totally unrelated to that bank's problem, Ponzi went to jail for three years up in Canada, and then after he got out of jail, he came back to the United States. In late 1919, after much of Europe had been devastated by World War I, Ponzi conceived of a scheme to sell discounted international postal reply coupons. Now, what are international postal reply coupons? They no longer exist. But what they were back in his day were if you bought a stamp in one country, you could redeem it for the reply in the stamp of, a, of the country of, for reply. So after World War I, Italy had been devastated, as much of Europe had been, and you could purchase a lot of postage for a very small amount of money and then redeem that under the postal reply coupon in the United States for much more. And so he conceived this idea where he would call this an investment he got relatives to send stamp, uh, our postal reply coupons from Italy to the United States, and he was going uh, to then make a trade here, or what we would call today arbitrage. So he established a company called the Securities Exchange Company, and he began convincing people in the Boston area that he could double their investment in 90 days. This began in February of 1920, and he took in $5,000. Now, that's $1920. That's a significant sum. In March, he took in $30,000. So word is spreading, doubling your investment. And some of the initial investors did get paid. 
but they were being paid out of the investment money that was coming in. In March, he took in $30,000. In May, after having hired some agents, he took in $420,000. And he was paying as promised some of the original investors, but again, paying out of current investments. By July, he had made millions. And people were mortgaging their homes. They were investing their entire life savings. And most did not take the profits because they were reinvesting them, thinking they're going to get this money uh, on the other end with a lot more. But by August, it all came crashing down as an investigative reporter for a Boston paper showed that there was no way that Ponzi could make the profits promised. From February to August, his investors lost $20 million, $1920, and he went to prison. He died penniless two months before I was born. And the reason he went through this is because it was all lies, a complete lack of integrity that caused this. And hence we have the term Ponzi scheme. A more modern and even more devastating lie is that found in the Bernie Madoff case in which investors were lied out of $13 billion. And that is why there is one lawyer for every 265 people in our country. Because yes no longer means yes. This is our world today. The health of millions has been jeopardized because tobacco companies never told the truth to smokers about the high risks of cancer. Drug companies have held serious, uh, withheld serious risk factors information about their products until the deaths of patients precipitated legal proceedings. And we've all seen those commercials on TV uh, if you or any member of your family has been touched by mesothelioma. Tragically, some Christian organizations have also played fast and loose with the faithful contributions of their sponsors and been lied in the name of Jesus. So much of the legal profession today is caught up in trying to find clever sophisticated ways to bypass, avoid, evade, undermine, or conveniently twist the law and the truth to suit their clients' purposes. It would take a highly trained, highly paid lawyer to interpret to most of us all the convoluted fine print of so many of the deal transactions that we make, so we just generally just sign and hope for the best. To try to get to the truth in a court of law, we used to have to raise our right hand and place our other hand on the Bible and swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. But the fear of God, the mention of His name, and the use of the Bible has been banished from our judicial system. However, it is still assumed that when you stand before a judge and make a statement under oath that to knowingly give false testimony makes you guilty of the crime of perjury. You know, even as children, we learned early that we couldn't always take a friend's word for what it was, and so we would make the pinky promises. Jesus already described the heart and character of a Christian disciple in the Beatitudes. What we have in these verses that follow is his instruction on how his followers flesh out and fulfill the true meaning and the purpose of the law. The legalists of his days, that is the Pharisees, would add additional statements and clauses to their testimony, swearing by heaven or swearing by Jerusalem or swearing by their head as a way of assuring others of the veracity of their promises. But Jesus says that his followers are to be such people of integrity that there is no need to back up their words or embellish them with an appeal to a higher authority, holy name, or holy place. He says, simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. Are you and I known as men and women of integrity? Can people take it for granted that our word is our bond that if we say we will do something, 
or be somewhere at a certain time that our word can be counted on. Integrity is a reputation of trustworthiness that is built up over a period of time and is proven by our behavior, our conduct, both in and out of the limelight, both in the public view as well as when no other human is looking. A man or a woman of integrity lives their life in the conscience presence of God and so speaks and behaves no differently when people are looking and listening than when they are alone. A man or a woman of integrity is not perfect. They make mistakes like anybody else, but they are quick to acknowledge them and will never try to cover them up or make excuses for them. Sometimes in their desire to serve and be of assistance, a man or a woman of integrity may take on more than they can handle and tasks they had committed themselves to doing just cannot get done. People of integrity don't just walk away. They humbly acknowledge their lack of judgment and immediately try to renegotiate the contract or find a faithful substitute who will work with them and for whom they accept responsibility until the job gets done. They remember that the buck stops with them. So let's each just do a little integrity check for a moment. How's our integrity with God? Are we keeping the vows and commitments we have made to Him? When we chose to call Him Lord and Master, we decided that we would, He would be the owner of our life, our time, our resources, and all that we have. How are we doing on that commitment? What portion of His resources are we spending on those things that will advance and expand His kingdom? And what are we spending on ourselves? Are we constantly seeking to bring our lives into alignment with God's agenda? Or are we too busy promoting our own? How's our integrity with the church? When we became part of the church, we vowed to participate by our prayers, our presence, our gifts, and our service. How are we doing in those departments? How is your prayer life? How much time of each day is spent in heart-to-heart conversation with God about the things that are on His agenda? How often do you lift up your brothers and sisters in prayer? How regularly do you show up and actively participate in the worship life of the church just when it is convenient or doesn't clash with other priorities? How are we doing in terms of offering and using the gifts and talents God has given us in His service? When we became all in here at the Living Stones Church, we accepted the fact that we became a member of a body, not a member of a religious club. Members of a club can frequently do their own thing, attend when they want to as long as they pay their dues. But members of a body are intricately joined. They're joined to and responsible for and dependent upon one another. Which members in this body are you dependent upon? And who are, responsible, are you responsible for? How's our integrity toward the one we vowed to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for rich, for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do we part? How are we doing in communicating our love and commitment in word and action in such a way that our beloved feels honored, cherished, and precious? How's our integrity toward our families? our children and our grandchildren. When we dedicated our babies each year, we have vowed that we would nurture them in Christ's family, the Holy Church, and by our uh, teaching and example, guide them to accept God's grace for themselves and to profess their faith openly and lead a Christian life. We commit ourselves to do all in our power to increase their faith, confirm their hope, and perfect them in love. When last did you talk with your children or grandchildren about Christ and encourage them to draw closer to Him? I would like to assume that each one of us must have felt at least one or two twinges of conscience as we reflected on our level of integrity in each of those areas. And if your conscience was pricked 
then it is evidence that it is alive and well. And that's a cause for rejoicing. For it means that you are still able to be responsive to the voice of the Holy Spirit within you and that you have not become numb to His voice and desensitized to His touch. Jesus Christ is the epitome of all integrity. He never made a promise He did not keep. He never made an offer He could not fulfill. And He calls us as His disciples to follow that example. Does your yes mean yes? Would you bow with me, please? Holy God, our Father in heaven, Father, we are so thankful for your Son, Jesus, and the example of integrity that He left for us. Father, we we are thankful for the redemption we have through His death, burial, and resurrection and the sacrifice He made on the cross. But also, Father, we are thankful for the example that He lived before us of how it is in your kingdom. Father, we know that the kingdoms of this earth are corrupt and that integrity is a rare commodity, but not so in your kingdom. And, Father, we are citizens of your kingdom. And so we ask you, Father, to be with us. And if our integrity has become tarnished, Father, we pray that you will give us the humility to confess that and to correct it. We ask this through your Holy Son, Jesus. Amen.